Good evening and welcome to Tee It Up Talk. I'm excited to be here. We're kicking off our, our new series this year, 2021, um, with some awesome heavy hitters. I have Dr. Ify on, Dr. Anderson, and actually happy to have my wife on. She's hanging out with us. Hopefully we'll get her to say a few things, a few words here, uh, Jennifer. So excited to have this group on. We're going to talk uh, about a hot topic um, and a lot that's happening, particularly with COVID-19. We want to really kind of focus on the COVID-19 vaccine and some of the hesitancy we have in the African-American community about the vaccine itself, whether we should take it, uh, really trying to hopefully understand the facts a little more. Also, maybe talk a little bit more about the historical trauma. I mean, a lot of people always bring up Tuskegee, but that wasn't the only thing. So it's, it's you know, it's quite a few other things and other reasons that we kind of have that hesitancy um, with vaccines. So we really want to kind of jump in and, and I won't hold us, won't hold us here long. I will definitely make sure that uh, we get this conversation rolling. We'll, we'll kick it off with Dr. If you tell us, first of all, a little bit about you and kind of what you do, your specialty, so it can kind of set the stage so everybody understands the conversation that we're going to have. Well, thank you so much, um, Rahid, and appreciate you having me on today. So my name is Dr. Ifia Sunquo. I'm a pediatric hematologist trained in hematology, oncology, and bone marrow transplant. However, my current practice is taking care of adults living with sickle cell disease at the Levine Cancer Institute, Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. My background, I was born in New York City, so I'm a Yankee, um, but I grew up in Nigeria. And if you're wondering where the accent is from, it's like a mixture of New York, Nigeria, and the Southern <laughs> English. And so <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to take it a little bit slow. And so, you know, I take care of sickle cell disease patients, and they're mostly African-American or Latino. And um, it's a disease that causes a lot of pain, organ damage, early um, death. And so they have a shortened lifespan. And they are part of the vulnerable population that we talk about when we talk about COVID-19 and those who are at high risk of having a bad outcome and actually dying from COVID-19. So my patient population definitely is smack in the middle of not just the racial inequalities, but also the COVID-19 inequalities that we see in the US. I'm glad awesome. to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out of your, your busy schedule to uh, be a part of this. And um, it's just excited to have a conversation going. So Dr. Anderson, talk to us a little bit about kind of who you are, what you do, and, and your expertise, particularly in uh, the mental behavior health side. Yes. Hi. Um, hello, everyone. Again, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Dr. Jocelyn Anderson. I am a nurse practitioner by trade. Um, I actually am a family nurse practitioner, and I currently work at Atrium Health. Um, Behavioral Health is where I work. Um, I do the family, what we call uh, take care of the um, medical needs for those behavioral health patients. Um, that is my primary focus, but also on the side, I give presentations. Um, there, I usually term them generational trauma, uh, health disparities, because there do there is a number of health disparities in the African-American community. A lot of times we attribute them to present day, but they have some historical reference. So to me, when I do my presentations, I bring that historical reference. I've given this presentation at Wingate University. I've given it at Winthrop University. I've also given it to a number of um, other organizations, nonprofit organizations. So me, I can kind of tie in the 
what is going on with the COVID because one of the presentations that I do focus on is what are the health disparities surrounding COVID? Um, and we're also now starting to see disparities with the vaccine. So that's kind of like my specialty, that's what I do. And uh, thank you again for having me. Awesome, awesome. So, hey, this is gonna be pretty neat. And Jen, you wanna say anything? Well, <laughs> so I'm Jennifer Saunders. I am a nurse practitioner. Um, I work for, uh, I work at Levine Cancer Institute as part of Atrium Health. I work with Dr. Ify, um, and I, I work with sickle cell patients um, only. So um, I'm excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for joining us. And we kind of snuck her in. We're going to see how long we can keep her on, but hopefully Dr. <laughs> Ify can, can hold her in here for a little while. She has some great some great insight that I know she can add as well. So hopefully yes, we can keep her, keep her on. So, so Dr. Ify, the big thing is COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it really is. What is this vaccine? And uh, kind of help us understand, kind of give us some facts. Because we hear, we hear a lot of things out here and not a lot of things on the news or a lot of things just in social media that aren't really facts, uh, particularly around the vaccine. So, you, you know, you, you hear all different types of things that, you know, they're, they're giving you COVID or uh, you chip, you're getting some kind of chip or, you know I mean, you, I mean, I hear it all. You hear yes. it, whatever is out there, you hear it. So tell us a little bit about kind of some, some facts from a, uh, from your standpoint, really from a science standpoint about the vaccine. Sure, Rahid. So I want to take us back to the early 1900s when there was a pandemic of the influenza um, virus in the U.S. and then it became a worldwide pandemic. And, and at that time, we began to learn about how viruses, which are bugs that cause infections, can go from one person to another person and then spread across an entire city, town, country, and then continent. And so we've learned from the flu pandemic and several other epidemics along the way that viruses can kill people, right? But there's no antibiotic that can treat a viral infection. So the only way to treat viruses is to prevent you from getting them, um, or even if you do get them, so that you're not so sick with it. And that's what vaccines do. So vaccines are usually a way of protecting you from getting these viral infections. We also have vaccines against things like strep or um, pneumonia, uh, pneumonia infections. We have vaccines against rabies. We have vaccines against different kinds of things like cholera, yellow fever, and other types of infections. And so what is a COVID vaccine? Well, the COVID vaccine does not give you COVID. So that's the first fact. I wanna debunk that myth. There's different types of COVID vaccines. None of them are live vaccines. So some vaccines are live. We take a little bit of the virus, give it to a healthy person, they build an immune response so that when they see the virus again, their body has the antibodies to fight against the virus. That's one type of vaccine. That is not what we're doing with the COVID-19 vaccine. And the reason is it's so new an infection that we don't know how the body will respond to giving the body a little bit of the virus. So that's not an acceptable way of doing the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, the vaccine, the ones we have right now are the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. And they're both vaccines called the mRNA vaccine. So Mary, Robert, Nancy, Adam, or messenger RNA vaccines. So what is the messenger RNA vaccine? It's a new, well, not so new. It's been around since 1985, the technology. 
And it's one way of making vaccines where you can make a lot of vaccines in a very short period of time to provide the body with a, almost like a, a code that says, okay, I now have this protein in my body that will tell my body, hey, make antibodies against that COVID virus. So the mRNA vaccine was developed in a lab. They took a piece of the COVID virus. They figured out what components it had called the spike protein. And they replicated that in the lab using chemical protein blocks. And then they built an mRNA protein against that COVID-19 code. And it's that mRNA that you get into your body. And what it does, it goes into your body and it tells your body cells, your blood cells, make these proteins against the COVID-19 protein. So it does. And then when you get exposed to COVID, it attacks the COVID virus right off the bat. So you don't get the infection, or even if you do get it, it is way less severe than if you got exposed to the, to the, to the disease without the vaccine. So it doesn't cause COVID. You don't get the COVID virus with the vaccine. You're actually getting a protein that was manufactured in the lab that teaches your body how to make an antibody to fight against the, vaccine, against the COVID virus. So that's kind of what we have right now. And there are many more that will come over time. Some are gonna be mRNA uh, vaccines. Some are gonna be just regular old vaccines like we did it with the flu virus vaccine and other vaccines. But for right now, the reason why the mRNA came out first, it's the fastest, most efficient way of making vaccines right now. And there's a lot of uh, data out there that suggests that in the future, things like flu and other uh, vaccines are gonna be made using the mRNA technology but it's not, it wasn't designed by the government. It's been around since 1985. They use that technology to do cancer vaccine research, Zika virus vaccine. And so it's been around, people just didn't realize how valuable the technology was gonna be to the whole world. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention, Rahid, is that people are worried about how fast the vaccine was developed. I wanna take you back to 2014 when I first came to Atrium Health there was only one drug to treat sickle cell disease in 2014 called hydroxyurea. And in 2019, they approved two new drugs for sickle cell disease. That's five years. Mm -hmm. Usually making a new drug takes 17 years from when you start the research to when you get it approved. These two drugs began their research in 2015 summer. And by 2019, November, they were approved. So it took five years. And the reason it was such a short turnaround time was because the government allowed something called accelerated approval for any kind of drug for a disease that doesn't have any treatment. So for sickle cell disease, there was only one drug. So they said, you know what, we're going to take away some of the roadblocks and give you a chance to make this drug without a lot of um, uh, barriers. So the same thing happened with the COVID vaccine. The government of the world, not just the United States, they co-signed and said, look guys, if you can make a vaccine against COVID, we will remove all the logistics that last 17 years because we need to save the world's population. So that's the main reason why it happened so fast. It's not because, you know, there's a chip in it that's gonna be used to target people, you know, and so people can feel comfortable that they did not skip any of the steps they just remove the man-made reasons why things don't move fast, like money, <laughs> politics, <laughs> right? And uh, um, uh, demand. So there was a demand. 
They took away the politics and they provided them with a blank check and said, look, go ahead and make the vaccine. We will cover your cost. You're not going to make a loss. So if I'm a company that makes vaccines, I'm like, okay, I can do what I need to do because I don't have to worry about all these other things that cost me more money to make sure that I get my, my product going. So that's kind of why the vaccine happened so fast. Awesome. No, and that, that that's great. That's great to hear. And then it sounds like although we're saying it's fast, it really, you know, it really wasn't fast because it sounds like the technology had already you said it started back in in the 80s, 85 ish. So Absolutely. It wasn't like they developed it right there and then yeah. 2020. It's been around. They just took what they already knew about the mRNA technology. Mm-hmm. And then what they what was new was they had to build the protein against the COVID spike protein. That's what they had to do. Right. They had to build that mRNA against that particular protein. But they knew how to do that type of work already before. 2020 came rolling around. So yeah. Awesome, awesome. So it makes makes a, a lot of sense to me and definitely makes sense. And, and so Dr. Anderson, help me then understand if we were able to get this message out so everyone understands that this isn't something that was just created you know, within a few months. It's, it's been around a while and, and they were able to remove kind of those roadblocks. How do we help uh, individuals understand, particularly when it comes to African-American community, that you know this this is pretty it's okay uh, to think about and okay to actually uh, get administered or, or take when they you know in their mind the first thing that they think about once again I, I, and I said it earlier is Tuskegee mm-hmm. or any of the other things or all the crazy things that happened with you know how they the how they treated um, Henrietta Lacks and her family so it, there's a mistrust in you know from a healthcare standpoint and. African-American community, rightly so. I mean, that, rightly so, because there's still disparities, and I'm sure you can help us with that, and Dr. Ify as well, there's still disparities today, i.e. it was only one treatment for a sickle cell, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, we can re- remove those robots, and, and then you, ha- you have, you know, two within five years, so there is some disparities there, so, we, you know, we definitely want to acknowledge that, but, but you know, we're in a, pan- a worldwide pandemic. Um, you know, now may be the time for us to listen to uh, some of our scientists who happen to look just like us, like a Dr. Ify, um, that's, that's giving us the facts and helping us understand how these things work and to understand that there were some things put in place to help prevent things like Tuskegee happening again. There are some, some things that they have in place to help control those things, some stop gaps and, and things to help those, help prevent some of those things. How do we help or what kind of conversations do we have to our, with our community to help them understand that? Um, I think we're, we're going to have to look at what we call targeted conversations. They definitely have to be targeted. Um, one of the things that we know, if you look at most research studies, they're going to say um, when you look at African-Americans as a whole or African-American population as a whole, we are we have the highest cell phone usage. So we tend to have cell phones in our hand. Right. And we're also some of the highest users of what you call social media. The issue with that is everybody's a doctor on social media. Right. That's so true. Okay. So true. Then you have Dr. Google. Right. Yep. So what ends up happening is that you can have someone as credible as Dr. Iffy. Don't forget, you got Dr. Kizzy Corbett. You know, she was actually yep. on the team that was, um, you know, helping with this vaccine. You got Dr. Fossey. To me, I honestly think with the way that Dr. Fossey handled himself um, and the pressures that he faced under the past year, I think that he is well respected and trusted, though. I do think that. Um, but we're, you're talking about every study shows that African-Americans are the most targeted with misinformation, right? 
we are the most targeted with misinformation. So when you have social media, misinformation, um, and that's where we're getting a lot of our information, then it kind of becomes very hard to cut through because you're having to cut through all of that. And then you already had mistrust to begin with. So then when you have Dr. Google or you have, like I say, everybody's a doctor on uh, uh, social media and you have, they put up these videos and we don't know how they've been spliced or diced um, or you have someone that took the COVID vaccine and lo and behold, they passed away within 24 hours. That you know, that's fear. You had Dr. Susan Moore. Everyone can remember that video and the passion and the pain that we saw in that video. And of course, we know that she um, passed away. So we're going to have to talk about very targeted. We have to have very targeted conversations. Where do you find African-Americans? Barbershops, the church. That's what most of your studies will tell you, right? So we have to get in those communities. Um, I do think that we kind of have to teeter on... Um, who we put in front of um, African-Americans because then there's still some mistrust there, you know, because they feel like, unfortunately, if you go and you listen to people, if they feel like you put too many African-Americans there, then they feel like you've done that so you can gain their trust instead of it being, you know, is this something that I should really listen to? So um, I'll say this and I say this in my presentations because I sometimes feel like it's a little, there's a little bit of truth to it. Sometimes, you know, getting information to us can be a very hard nut to crack. It really, really can be. Um, so we're gonna have to, people that we know, it. those of us that are getting the vaccine to get on social media, hey, I'm getting my first injection. Um, these are the symptoms that I had. I received my second injection. Be honest about your symptoms, right? If you're having a little bit of um, pain, if you felt fatigue, um, and honestly, if it feel like you feel like it knocked you back for 24 hours, right? Just be honest about that. Um, I think we need to be honest about the vaccine because I'll be honest, um, when the vaccine first came out, I remember watching MSNBC. And um, it was one of the medical contributors on there. And so he started saying the things they didn't know about the COVID vaccine. And I was kind of taken aback myself too, because one of the things, and they were very honest about that, but I don't think it really made it to the ears of the majority of Americans. Because one of the things they did say is, hey, with this COVID vaccine, we're honestly not sure how much it will really slow transmission. They were very honest about that. I just don't think it made it to a lot of ears. Another thing they said is, hey, it is. it could be very possible that you can get the COVID vaccine and still be an asymptomatic carrier, right? So there's somebody that received the vaccine, still test positive for COVID and still could possibly spread it, right? Um, so you have people that are say, well, if I get the COVID vaccine, but I'm still going to get COVID, right? And so a lot of people say, well, why should I take the vaccine if I'm going to get COVID? And I think we have to start focusing on what Dr. Ify said and what I think is the most targeted. African-Americans are seeing two to three times the death rate, right? Um, I think that the COVID conversation is very black and white. So you hear the people that get better you know, I got COVID, I just had a runny nose or a call for some chest congestion. I didn't have to go into the hospital. And then you hear the deaths, correct? What you don't hear is those that are now chronically ill from COVID, right? So you can be chronically ill. I remember taking care 
of a couple I was working with, um, Dr. E down here in Rock Hill, and a couple came in. Um, another thing we have to understand is that it is very possible to be at a party and two individuals are exposed to the same strain and they have a totally different reaction. That is very important. So when you hear somebody say, well, I got COVID and I was fine, well, that may not be true for you, right? And so with this couple, the white, he was about 60. Uh, so he's about five years from retirement. She was about 58 and she had very mild symptoms, did not have to go into the hospital. He was in the hospital for a month. He's now on oxygen. He can't walk a few steps without you know, needing his oxygen. He's chronically ill and the depression that has set in because now I can't take care of my family and I just may have to retire early, right? So we have to start having very real conversations about, listen, it's a very, it's a good possibility that you could take the vaccine and still contract COVID. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to decrease the death rates. We don't want to die at two to three times the rate because of COVID. That's not what we want. We don't want you to get sick and now you know, you, you're having the blood clots and now you're having to see a hematologist and now you're having to see a pulmonologist, that's a lung doctor, because you can't breathe. And now you can only walk five or 10 steps um, without getting short of breath. Those are not the kind of outcomes that we want for you. So I think that we have to start having very different conversations with African-Americans that center around the fact that it is very possible to get the COVID vaccine and still contract COVID. But the goal is to decrease the two to three times higher death rate that we have, and also two, to decrease what we call the chronically ill effects or what we can call the dramatic effects of COVID or even death. That's the conversations that we need to start having. Absolutely, no, I, I agree. And, and you know, it really hit me when they were talking, when they were kind of breaking down the drugs. So when, it, when they're breaking down the vaccine, that you know, they talk about uh, Pfizer and its efficacy and Moderna. And then, of course, uh, you know, Johnson & Johnson's coming out with theirs and they're pushing it. You know, the first thing people heard was 65%. And it was like, well, listen to the entire uh, story that they're saying. They didn't just say it was just 65%, you know, effective. Listen to the breakdown. And when they broke, they, you know, able to break it down. And it, as you were saying, uh, Dr. Anderson, it helps it helped them under, help people understand, okay, it's not just about not contracting COVID and it's not just about not dying. It's, it's also about, you know, my quality of life moving forward. What happens if I, you know, we contract this and like you say, now I, now I have a heart issue or now I have some issues with my lungs. I mean, uh, Jen can tell you, I mean, we know plenty of people who've passed away after they contracted COVID and were fine, didn't have, you know, technically, I guess, tested negative and we're moving up, going along with their life as usual. And then boom, all of a sudden, and they go back and it's COVID related. Yeah. So, um, you know, those things are, are very important. And Dr. Ivy, could you help us uh, understand what efficacy means and kind of what that means from a drug standpoint? So it all depends on what was, what, what you went into the research study trying to test. So the COVID vaccines went into the study trying to test how well does this prevent you from dying or getting very sick from COVID? It didn't test how well does it keep you from getting COVID because right. there's no way for you to test that in a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. the efficacy of the vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna is, those that got the vaccine had a 95% chance of 
being fine at the end of the study period, right? They didn't die, they didn't get very sick. And I think the numbers of those that got sick was way smaller in the COVID vaccine group compared to the group that didn't get the vaccine, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's important to think about, you have to really know what the study is testing for. Yeah. And when you hear about vaccines, remember the flu vaccine, nobody will tell you, if you take this flu vaccine, you will never, ever, ever get the flu. Mm -hmm. That's, we never tell you that. We tell you, you may not get the flu. And if you get the flu, it'll be less severe than if you didn't get the vaccine. And oh, by the way, the prevention of, with the flu vaccine is about 50% efficacy, right? Mm -hmm. So we take so much stock on a 50% efficacy vaccine that 95% is like, you know, shoot, I'm right. about to see Jesus. This is great. You know, we should be very yeah. happy. <laughs> and so we have to kind of compare apples with apples and not apples with oranges. We are in a pandemic. Like Dr. Anderson said, you can have the, the COVID virus and be completely fine. And we're running around and giving it to everybody around in your household and everybody you meet at work and everybody you meet at the grocery store, right? We want you to be able to make it through that. That's fine. But what I think that people, and it's not even in the news media so much, Dr. Anderson, the post-COVID problems. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. The joint pain, the yeah. headaches, the heart failure, the chronic lung damage, the blood clots are insane. Hematologists mm -hmm. around the country and around the world have a new business stream yeah. from all the clots that COVID has caused. We have changed our guidelines like five times since March last year, mm -hmm. because we're learning about how bad these clots are to the point where if you have COVID, they're gonna put you on a blood thinner, even if you're young. I mean, it's so bad mm -hmm. and it can happen at any time from when you get the, vac the, the COVID virus to months, Later, three months later, we thought it was only like, you know, 10, 14 days. No, 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 no. I have people who are still sick. Yeah. It'll be a year next month. People who got sick in March last year yeah. are still dealing with the post COVID stuff. And we don't even understand it well. And then there's, you know, Dr. Jeff Anderson's specialty the mental illness, the depression, the anxiety, mm -hmm. the post traumatic stress of being in the ICU for a month. I mean, that can mess with your mind right? Mm -hmm. And the loss of work, the loss of productivity, you not having a caregiver, being isolated, all these things have caused significant trauma and it's worsely felt amongst black and brown people. Yes. And so if there's anything that we can do to help protect ourselves from having either dying, like Dr. Anderson said, or getting really sick from it, and then having this chronic debilitating, oh my goodness, problems that you didn't have before mm -hmm. or making whatever you had way worse, we should avail that opportunity because I think that's that's how we love ourselves. If you protect yourself from bad outcomes, that's how you love yourself. That really is our charge as, as, a, as, a, as a population. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was going to say, I think that's mm -hmm. the message that we got to get out to everybody is yes. that it's not a matter of you getting this virus, but it's what happens after you get the virus and, re and you feel like you've recovered from it. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people know about the blood clots. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think a lot of people know about heart failure. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they know that you can actually die weeks later mm -hmm. after you've gotten COVID-19. And I, that's the message that we're trying to get to our patients um, to let them know the importance of getting the vaccine. It's not because we, you know, um, we want to actually save their life. 
for one thing, but it's the the future, like the the days ahead that we're trying to prevent these bad things, other bad things from happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've gotten the vaccine, right? And I don't have any horns in the back of my <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, I, so Jessica, you mentioned this. When I first heard about the vaccine, I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait, let all the drama pass and let me really get the data. See, mm-hmm. I'm a scientist. I want to read the data. I want to see mm-hmm. how many black folk were on the study. How many got sick? How many died? You know, how was it done? Who did it? You know, what kind of a conflict of interest did they have? So I took my time. I wasn't going to line up until I convinced myself mm-hmm. that this was clearly a scientifically rigorous study. And I did take about a month to review the data, review all the, I had to research, what is the mRNA uh, vaccine? Went back to the story of the couple that figured it out in 1985 and how it kind of went from their lab to, I think it was in the, in the Northeast and kind of moved the research forward, the Zika virus and the cancer vaccines. I had to do all of that research. And then I wanted to know how many people of black and brown descent were part of the studies. And as a matter of fact, surprisingly, each of the studies, Pfizer and Moderna, was about 9% each. Mm-hmm. Now, in the, in the US, about 13% of America is African-American. And then you have about nine or 10 Hispanic. And so they had a, I mean, compared to other studies, like cancer studies, you got like 1% Black people in the study. Exactly. But then you had yeah. 9%. I was like, okay. And it was like 40,000 in this study and 20,000 in the other study. That's a lot of people. So I felt, okay, you know, there was somebody like me on this study. So... I'm going to represent it. Now, what they didn't have is people with allergies. So that was my issue. I have a lot of allergies. How do people with allergies fare with the vaccine? So that led to another level of research. And somebody had an allergic reaction in Alaska. Somebody had one in Europe. And I was like, okay, what did they have? What happened? I had to dig through all the data to figure out what type of allergies did they have? Was it to penicillin? Was it to, you know, aspirin? Was it to mushrooms? Was it, what was it? And it turns out that the allergy that they had reported was to the component of Miralax, which I thought was really interesting. So Miralax is called polyethylene glycol and they use that compound as part of the lipid or the the fatty uh, molecule that forms the mRNA. And so one person or two people had an allergic reaction to it. It is so rare that you know, I'm like, okay, Ify, with all your allergies, and Jennifer knows, you know, I got my EpiPen, my Zyrtec, my Benadryl. I went with the bodyguard, my husband, yeah. <laughs> had all my stuff lined up. I said, look at here, people. <laughs> I got allergies. I have to wait for 30 minutes. And honest to goodness, Jesslyn, I was fine. Mm-hmm. She gave me the shot. And I was like, you done? She says, yeah. I said, what's your name? Because I need to come back for my flu shot for you to give it to me. It was, <laughs> it was so easy. And the next day, I did my morning workout with the trainer. I had none. Three weeks mm-hmm. comes around. I go back. I'm like, okay, this is going to be the time I'm going to have. They say you're going to have, you know, flu-like symptoms. And surprisingly, I had none. I was shocked. Now, I know people who've had like a little bit of chills, aching for 24 hours. I know one girl who had it for three days, low-grade fever and joint aches for three days. But really, truly, I don't, you know, Everybody had a different experience, just like you were saying, it's going to be targeted to each population. But I personally was very surprised with all my allergies and my EpiPen and all that drama of be ready, be ready, be ready. Because the second time I was like, I ain't going with you. You can do it yourself. What do you mean? I need my bodyguard. But he let me go on my own and I was fine. You know, and so people should not be afraid of getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah. Because you got to look at it this way. 
protect yourself from the consequences of COVID, from the consequences of having a potentially deadly virus and long-term complications versus allow yourself to be sucked into the fear of getting a vaccine, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in healthcare and I get every vaccine known to men. I mean, I get flu, yellow fever, cholera, I've gotten everything. Chickenpox vaccine, everything I've gotten, right? And, I, I, and I've spent time and I encourage people to get into the data, find out, look at the research. And if you don't understand it, find somebody who can walk you through what the data shows. Don't rely on Dr. Google because Dr. Google is not actually a human being. Right. <laughs> I, think, um, I think that Dr. Ify, I think you make a good point, but I do know just when you're dealing with certain populations, so for example, behavioral health, right? They're not going to go look at studies, right? They're just not. Um, your single mother or your uh, college student who is just trying to get by, right? They are just trying to get by the next day. I got to feed my family. My rent is due next week. They're not going to go read studies. And that's, and that is a large part of our population, right? Because that's what the data shows. The data shows that the majority of African-Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That is what the data shows. Um, when you are living paycheck to paycheck, that is when you have that additional stress that leads to these health disparities. And then it's also navigating the healthcare system, right? Because I can be honest, I've oh. been in healthcare since 99, Lord, and I... And sometimes I'd be like, okay, well, that ain't making much sense to me. You know, and, I, and, and me and I have a really good friend. We have really good conversations. And one of the conversations we have is, you know, if we're having such difficulty sometimes navigating the healthcare system, mm -hmm. what are those individuals who are already scared, already do not know, exposed to misinformation? And those are the people that we have to reach, right? Because they tend to have diabetes, high blood pressure. They tend to not eat the healthiest of foods, right? They tend to be under the most stress. And they are the majority of probably those deaths that we see. But I do want to add that there are healthy, completely healthy individuals that are contracting COVID and also dying or becoming chronically ill. Um, I think that this is so new, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers and I didn't post it on Facebook yesterday, but yesterday was actually the one year anniversary of COVID, right? We had our very first COVID death, February 7th of 2020. We are at 500,000 deaths. That is 40,000 deaths, a little about 43 actually, 1,000 deaths a, a month. So you're talking about 10,000 deaths a week, right? And so sometimes when I'm talking, like when I'm doing my presentations and I tell people, you know, think about it. If you have 1,000 friends or 2,000 friends on Facebook, right? And they're saying African-Americans, because one of the, um, I follow this, it's called ARM Research and they'll tell you. So the last time I did my presentation with COVID, it was back in October. And at that time it said that if we did not have the health disparities that we have, meaning African-American, there would be about 25,000 additional African-Americans living today, right? That's a, that's a significant number. So I tell people, just think about your Facebook friends, right? If you have, if you're fortunate enough to have 5,000 friends, or if you only have a thousand, that's just like you waking up one day and all those people are posting and you go to their funeral. That is the kind of deaths that we are looking at, right? And we know that also too, what do African-Americans face when it comes to death? Lack of health insurance. 
right? Lack of burial. Of, I'm sorry, I said health insurance. I meant um, burial. Burial. Right. So then, now we're putting financial pressure. So additional stress uh, on the families. Yeah. And the so, you know, that's the one of the things I say. The problem is we have these litany of health disparities that are they come to us through what we call these social determinants of health, correct? Mm -hmm. They come to us because of unemployment. They come to us because of lack of education. They come to us because of where we live. Um, they come to us because, again, we do not have access um, that we should have. And where's that? It's kind of, it's built in in a way, you know? Um, and we kind of have to deal with that. I do think that, and I know this is not political, but I do think that the Biden administration um, targeting particular communities is good. And um, I'll give you an example here. You know, I saw something on Facebook. It was about the COVID vaccines here. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, as I'm looking at the criteria, I'm like, well, that's not going to really help our seniors. So I reached out to an attorney I knew. We got a group of, of people together. We got them on the phone. We had a conversation. And then we started reaching out. How do we get these vaccines into the arms of people that look like us, right? Because that's the next disparity that we're dealing with, right? There's still only about 5% of African-Americans are getting the vaccine. Things. I think that's a mixture of things. I think that has everything to do with outreach, right? Yeah. How we're setting up um, the criteria, correct? Criteria matters. And I tell people that sometimes we can look at criteria and it looks what we call race neutral, but under the hood, it's really not, right? So one thing that South Carolina decided to do um, it's two things South Carolina decided to do. Um, one was they did a secret vaccine clinic. Right. And so you had to know somebody to know somebody. This happened about three weeks ago. They had 600 doses of vaccine that they gave out. Um, who do you think most of those vaccines went to? Right. We know who it Not was. Not us. Yeah. So, <laughs> and this is the thing. It was a write-up, right? Because most people were like, wait, hold, what? you know, how did this happen? You know, then they said, oh, it was just kind of like a pilot program. Pilot program. People are dying. You guys are doing a, and they call it a double secret. I mean, there's an article. You can go research it. Uh, South Carolina double secret uh, vaccine clinic. They did it down uh, on the fairgrounds in Columbia. Um, another thing that South Carolina did um, was, when you, they started with the first phases, the age range was 70, right? You had to be 70 or older. Mm -hmm. So I had to go do my research because I said, well, North Carolina is 65. Why is South Carolina 70? So I had to go. I said, okay, well, that's not a federal government requirement. That's a state requirement. So the question would be, we have to ask ourselves a couple things. Why are we starting at 70? And the issue is we're talking about limited resources, right? So anytime there's limited resources, we have to make sure those resources go where we want them to go. Yeah. And the way we do that and make it seem race neutral is by criteria that appears race neutral, but under the hood, it's not. So for example, the age of 70, why is that significant? The life expectancy of African-American men is about 67, 68, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. African-American women is about 73, 74, right? Now, when you start to get into your Caucasian individuals, you're in the, almost in the 80s. I think men are like 78, women are like 80s, right? right? So you, <laughs> your age range was 70. So you've already missed a large number of the people you should be gather, uh, getting. Then, of course, we should be giving vaccines to healthcare workers. But this is the thing, right? What do your healthcare workers look like? Because we're still talking about the first this and the first that, right? So when you look at uh, doctors, when you look at nurses, we're just a small percentage. Small percentage. Yeah. 
right? So when even when you're giving your vaccines to your healthcare workers, you're still capturing mostly Caucasian Americans. That goes, again, that's historical. I mean, I know we can't get into it now, but I'm just saying though, we have to sometimes think about this criteria mm -hmm. as well. So those are the things that we kind of have to target. Those are the things we sat down at the table, we asked questions, um, come to find out the table was not diverse. And that is why we get criteria that we get. Um, and then we get the complexity. How do you sign up for this vaccine? It was a three-day process. Oh it required you having an email. What 70-something-year-old has an email, especially African-American, right? Exactly. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You have to think yes. about that. And it was a three-day process, which they sent you an Excel spreadsheet to fill out your medicines on. This is South Carolina right here. So these are the kind of things that we have to start looking at and we have to make sure that how are these vaccines going out? And we have to start becoming comfortable with saying that we may have to have a set aside, correct? We can't use the excuse that we're scared because you hear that a lot. Is there some truth to that? Yes, but that's not the 100% truth. Some of that is, do we have people in homes that can't get out and don't have transportation, right? Correct. Right. Do we have people that may be interested in getting the vaccine, but they need to hear from somebody credible like Dr. Ify, somebody that wants to explain it to them? Yes, I'm ready. I'm willing to do this vaccine because that's important to me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, why are we not vaccinating teachers, but we want them back in the classroom? So these are the questions that as citizens we have to ask because when we go and we check that ballot box and we decide who we want to represent us, those are the individuals that are at the table making these decisions. And we have to remember that when the resources are limited, people can come up with criteria that again looks race neutral, but under the hood can do a lot of damage. No, you're absolutely no, no. right, Jesslyn. And, and I, I, was, I went to get labs done at a facility close by and what you said struck me. There's this elderly African-American gentleman sitting in the corner, just waiting. You know, I got my labs. I was waiting to get my labs. And then he looks like his daughter walks in and she's like, have you gotten your vaccine? This was a lab draw area. He said, no. He said they, gave, they did the swab and she lost it. So he was supposed to go and get his vaccine, but he, he didn't understand the instructions or they misinstructed him. He came to the lab and you know, the lab people did a swab on him, a COVID swab. <laughs> I, I, I had to like, I'm like, um, and so that's how, when I realized, I think I called, I don't know who I called in the clinic. I'm like, okay, how do you get the vaccine for, he's 75 years old. Oh, you got to call the one eight 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 number. You got to get a my HM health account. I'm like, look, this dude ain't got no my HM health account. So what's the... <laughs> But I gave the woman the number to call. She was on hold for like 10 minutes and then I went to get my labs done. But I can tell you that she probably didn't get the vaccine that day. Mm -hmm. He spent at least a couple of hours at the lab until she was able to go pick him up thinking that he was gonna go get his vaccine. Oh. And again, it's the, um, the, the, the communication, are we giving people instructions that are easy enough for them to understand to be able to get what they need? He was already in the facility but there was no vaccine area anywhere near there. And he couldn't just walk to the place because you had to make the appointment. You had to get the response back to confirm your appointment. The steps, even for me, it's complicated. I mean, as, as a several degree holder, you know, and I can't imagine my mom who's 76 going through all those steps. Yes. That would have been insane. Mm -hmm. And she's a nurse, you know, it's complicated. We need to make it easier for people in the places that they thrive. I mean, having them drive to a place is great on paper. Yes. Unless you don't have a car. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, 
and you know Uber ain't gonna go there. <laughs> Uber's not gonna take you. Well, they're not uh, gonna sit in that line. Yeah, yeah because long line. Line. oh, you have to pay. You have to pay for the time. Yeah, you yeah. that line. You know, yeah. I know. And, and those are just the things that we do. Like when I get off, uh, I have a list of people. You know, me, city councilors, a couple attorneys, and we have a list. We we call the housing agency, and we got a list of those sixty five and older. And you know, everybody is taking time calling people and say, "Hey, would you be interested in the vaccine?" Now we're going to get the information. We're going to explain it to them, but we do have a barrier, and one of them is transportation. You know, if they don't have transportation and they can't but those are some things that we can kind of do on a local level to problem solve because honestly it's going to take us now i do think that the biden administration saying you know what we're not going to do vaccines like this we're just going to push it out to individual pharmacies that is going to get more vaccines and more arms and those are the kind of things that we need to make sure that um our individuals are understanding, um, our community is understanding. Um, one of the other things that I think I fight with COVID too, um, honestly, is the mistrust of the prior administration. Well, these COVID vaccines were, you know, approved yeah. under XYZ. Um, and now you have Dr. Fossey actually uh, admitting that there was some pressure there. So when I uh, hear that, what I tell individuals, okay, I understand. I mean, because what we do, we have to give credence to how people feel, right? We yeah. cannot just tell people that they should not feel that way, that that doesn't make sense. Don't make them feel stupid. You know what I'm saying? We have to give credence to that. Even when they say <laughs> they're putting uh, um, a chip in me. Mm -hmm they may have read something that may make them really think that they, you know, they don't need to come to behavioral health. They, they may really, really believe that. So we just have to kind of, you know, sift through that. But one thing I do is I tell them, I say, well, you know what, if you really don't want to do the Moderna or the Pfizer. So Johnson and Johnson is going to be seeking approval this month, actually. Johnson and Johnson has one of the most robust studies. Um, they actually had more participants than anyone. They had 60,000 participants. Um, they refused uh, when it did come down to, hey, like Dr. Ify said, because the Trump, the prior administration did say, hey, we'll remove all of these barriers. Can we just get you guys to come in and do it? Johnson and Johnson decided to say no. They were actually kind of in the middle and they did not want to rush their, um, their studies. Now, I'm not saying the other two companies did. I think the other two companies were closer to the end of their studies than Johnson & Johnson was. Mm -hmm. um, so I tell people, you know, you do have them. They're coming out. So if you have the mistrust with the other two, then, you know, consider the Johnson & Johnson. Because again, we're going to have to give people options. We can't just tell them that their uh, fears, because it is their fears, do not have credence, because to them, they do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I agree 100%. We, ha we have to listen. Because uh, like I always tell people, look, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Once they understand that, then you're able to kind of move some things forward. And, you know, I, I agree as far as, um, I, you know, I was thinking throughout COVID, the only thing I heard was essential workers, essential workers. And a lot of those essential workers look like us. In my, in my mind, I was thinking, are they essential or are you saying they're disposable? Because, um, you know, there wasn't a lot you know, a lot of things happening for them. We weren't really taking care of those essential workers. Those were the ones that were contracting it, uh, you know, a lot quicker. They were having the most issues with it. Uh, and now those same essential work workers, they, they aren't in line getting this vaccine, not because they don't want to, it's because their number isn't up because they're the, you know, they're the younger uh, individuals who don't fit that 65 and up. And um, they technically may not have 
uh, some underlying conditions. They may have them, but in most cases, they don't have insurance. They can't go and find, they don't know that they have them because mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't have access to healthcare anyway. Um, so, you know, we, I agree, we have to find a way to kind of educate that group, but also we still have to uh, push and fight for uh, the opportunities that these individuals should have to even have access um, to the vaccines. And we kept, and, and I agree, we have to find unique ways. Unfortunately, our health departments serve a great purpose, but it may not be to mass to, to get vaccines out the way that uh, they need to be to be out. Uh, I mean, I, I think Novant and Atrium have done great jobs at, you know, at the, the things that they've done with these uh, mass vaccine kind of days. I mean, I, I was able to go to the one at uh, Bank of America Stadium and it was smooth. It was 30 minutes. I drove in, uh, took me about 15 to get there to get the vaccine and I waited my 15 minutes and I was out 30 minutes. It was smooth. But, um, you know, I, and I'm, you know, I'm looking at other areas, certain counties, they don't even have the way to sign up. They say, hey, we're going to have this vaccine at 10 o'clock tomorrow. And people just have to show up. People are showing up 10, 11 o'clock the night before waiting in line so they could get the vaccine. And these are these rural areas where the, those health departments just don't have the technology to be able to set appointments and have people to come in. So um, I am glad the Biden administration is opening up to things like getting them out to the pharmacies or the churches, like uh, um, our church is going to hold a vaccine um, clinic. And so, you know, we're able to target and hit that population of individuals that may not necessarily have access for any means, transportation, fear. I, I mean, I'm getting calls and the first thing people ask, well, who's a part of this? Uh, do you know anything about it? And I was like, well, yeah, this is what I know. Well, since you know about it, look, we're going to, I'm going to sign up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's those who all at the cookout calls. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's right. That's what, that's Correct. what that call is. You know, we had to relate. That's who all right. at the cookout. I mean, yeah. that's who all yeah. that. and that's, and that's the thing we have to make sure that we do have individuals <laughs> in those rooms that can speak to that and be honest and, yep. We have to connect, and that's the thing. It's a lot of individuals that are that have the knowledge, that know have the know-how, and that truly understands that community to make sure that our community gets what it needs. Um, but we have to make sure that those that are making the decisions, right? Because that's where it lies. It's your decision makers. And I must do. I mean, I know I work at Atrium, but I do kind of have to toot um, our CEOs. Uh, Oh, Lord. Oh, Eugene Woods. Lord Jesus, please. (laughs) I do think that he's done an excellent job. Yeah, I know. right? I think he's done an excellent job. Um, I think it's his 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 demeanor and the way that he's willing to work with other other individuals and um, other hospitals and organizations. Um, And I would tell people, please do the mass vaccinations. You know, to me, that's some that's one of the easiest ways if you're interested Mm -hmm. in the vaccine to get vaccinated without um, some of the rigmarole of the more complex uh, processes that some have had to face. Um, One thing I also wanna stress, Lord, because this is the one thing I fear, and they need to stress this, even if you get the vaccine, you still have to wear your PPE. Yes. You still still have to, because again, like Dr. Ify said, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? We Mm -hmm. 
we we know that this vaccine will decrease um, the side effects from COVID. We know that uh, it has a 95% efficacy in decreasing deaths related to COVID, but we that does ha doesn't have anything to do with transmission. Um, I was very disappointed to be on Facebook and see what I saw in Tampa. No masks. <sighs> thousands of people yeah, yeah. um and we have to, days. <laughs> yes i mean our covid cases have been coming down the last couple of weeks but guess what that was going to happen you had super bowl and then you have valentine's it's going to spike so we're going to keep in this what i call this kind of roller coaster until we get this thing together and people are, it's going to take us a long time to get what it's called herd immunity because I think you have to get what is it, Doctor? About Doctor, if about seventy-seven five percent of the population, the three hundred thirty million people, you need to get at least two hundred and something million of them. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot. We are at forty million. We still have a long way to go. Long way to go. So please continue to wear your mask. And I'm telling, I told my family double mask. I double mask myself. Um, you know, if you like the little cute mask, they're okay, but put your little N95 or a little hospital mask. That's what I do. I put my little N95 or hospital mask and I put my little designer or, you know, cutie mask over it. Um, wear a face shield. Um, that's okay too. If that's something that you, if you feel like you're going to be somewhere for a prolonged period of time in a group of people, please wear a face shield, um, wear goggles. It's okay. You may <laughs> you may look a little crazy, but we're into saving lives. That's what we, that's, right. that's what we're into. And and I think I want to also encourage people. You know how March we're like, okay, let's just wait till the summer. Summer comes around, let's just wait till the fall. For, oh, let's just wait till Christmas. There is no waiting to exhale to get rid of this pandemic, right? Yeah. We just have to, in our minds, accept the fact that life is forever going to be different in America and in the world. Period. Right, we just have to get used to the fact you're always going to have to be six uh, six feet distance. What is called socially distance. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have to do your hand washing, and you're going to probably have to wear a mask for a very very long time. Yeah, even after we get 100 people vaccinated with the COVID vaccine, you know, until they do studies to prove that any of this can reduce transmission, which is not going to happen before 2021, 22, or maybe even 23. So the idea that I get the vaccine, I can just kind of, oh, relax and just do whatever. That's that's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. And so travel is going to be different. And how we dress is always going to be different. So just kind of wrap your mind around that and just be prepared. Mm -hmm. We may be able to see each other more, but you're still going to have to wear your mask because you have to assume that everybody who's next to you has COVID. Yeah. They may not be sick, but they can give it to you. And you don't know if you're going to be the one who's going to be knocked down by it. The people who died didn't think they were going to die from COVID. You know, the people who got sick didn't think they're going to get sick from COVID, you know, and being careless is the main reason why we have these spikes, you know, mm -hmm. that keep coming up and coming up when we, I mean, if we do this, my sister lives in Australia and they have zero COVID. They will lock you up. Like they shut down their border. You ain't coming in. You come in, you go to a hotel and you're going to have to pay for your hotel and that's it. They have zero COVID mm -hmm. from province to province. You ain't going nowhere. Mm -mm. I mean, they don't even need to, they don't even think they're going to do the vaccine right away because they don't need to, because there's no COVID in, in, in Australia. And so if we do this right, we can actually save ourselves, vaccinate, socially distance, wear your mask, right? And just do everything you can to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. yeah. How about, uh, are there any, because, uh, and, and I totally understand this, we, we have a lot of people who, who may, that they'll get the vaccine and they may 
um, they'll, they'll wear masks and, and, and some of them will be hesitant with getting the vaccine because they'll say, well, I can do, you know, I need to up my vitamin D or I need to do all these things. And, and I always say, look, we should be doing those things, but it's, it's always a challenge to help them understand we should be doing those things and wearing a mask or and getting a vaccine. Any thoughts on how people who are really into natural health, which I am as well, but help them understand that that's part of the process, not maybe the end all be all. So there is no confirmed research that says that any supplementation you take is gonna protect you from COVID like a vaccine will. There's nothing out there. There is data that suggests that vitamin D helps with your immunity, right? Mm -hmm. Zinc helps with healing and the lungs, um, ginger and garlic and those type of things. Eating a healthy, I mean, we should do this even if there's no pandemic, anyway, right? right? Cut out the French fries from you know the, the, the fast food store, cut out the soda, don't smoke, be moderate with your alcohol intake, you know, things, drink a lot of water, you know, and, you know, try to poop every day. Don't think that we're supposed to do that. Right. <laughs> still on that, Jennifer. Look. <laughs> regular. We talk about poop a lot in our clinic. Yes. <laughs> That's a normal part of the conversation. conversation. Yes, you yes. Every day. Yes. Once a week is not normal, okay? It's no, every no. Day. All those things help boost your immunity, right? Help your lungs stay healthier, help your blood pressure, help your bone development. But with all that, you should still protect yourself with the vaccine and doing the social distancing and wearing the mask. That's where you get the best bang for your buck. So think about it like, you know, if I know that I want to get to 100%, and that's a really hard, high bar to, to reach, if I do these healthy things, I may get to like 20%. If I do my social distancing, I get to like 40%. With the vaccine, I get to like 95%, right? you would want to do 95%. So you do all of that to get to 95. If you do only one piece, you may not hit the 95% mark. You know, so that's the way I will look at that. Do all of those holistic things, but please don't drink bleach. Don't drink any hand sanitizer, okay? <laughs> don't inhale toxic substances, <laughs> you know, because that's going to kill you, right? There are certain things that we know are just dangerous. Please don't do those, right? And don't follow everything you see on Facebook. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Those healthy behaviors are good, but please do not drink bleach and do not inhale bleach or burn bleach or anything like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that because there was there's a lot of things out there about bleach. <laughs> Some of those other things as well. So totally, totally understand that. And well, I appreciate this time. We definitely we have to do this again. I know Dr. Anderson has been on before, but uh, I appreciate uh, this conversation, we'll, we're going to get it out there to as many people as we can to make sure that they get an opportunity to hear and understand. And and uh, and we may sometimes we get questions, so we may get some questions back. So I may shoot you a message, say, "Hey, this person asked this," and we can see see what we can uh, how we can help them or how we can answer that question. But before we close out, what I do is I, I kind of do a tee it up section, and this is all about all for you. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to say. Is anything burning on your your mind, Dr. Ify, that you just want to leave with everyone today before you before we sign off? Can can Jessalyn go first? Yeah, Jessalyn <laughs> can go first. Dr. Um, Anderson, anything anything that you have, anything you want to want to leave with us? Um, I think that if we go back a year, because we're almost a year into this, um, and this is some self reflection I I've done with myself we thought so many things were important, right? We thought going here was important. I do miss my vacations though. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> I miss my blue water, but um, I think that 
uh, we put emphasis on things that I think in the past year, myself and I think so many others have realized were not really that important, right? It wasn't. Um, I I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but sometimes I say God will give us a slowing. Um, and I'm not trying to get religious. I'm just saying this is my personal thing. Uh, God will give us a time to slow and a time to self-reflect, right? Um, like Dr. Ify said, we're going to be in this for quite some time. We should come out better on the other side, right? What are those things that we're self-reflecting on? Are we loving our family more? You know, I'll be honest, it was things last year that I thought were a mountain that now is like a molehill. You know, like I treasure, you know, sometimes my alone time more than I did. I, you know, you treasure your family. We feel like we've always treasured our family, but the amount of time that we've been able to spend with our families and to say that we love them. And then also too, so many of us have picked up hobbies and we've become creative. And, you know, even in the midst of what you may feel like something is on fire, there can be creativity, right? Because we know diamonds are created out of pressure, right? So we should come out of this as diamonds, right? We're like diamonds in the rough. So take this time to, rest, relax, reflect. Reflecting is very important. Um, I finally realized I don't need a gym, right? I thought I needed to pay $55 a month and I don't because I have like this yoga mat and then I have weights and I walk outside. And so it's just, it's been a rearranging of life that um, at first I think I may have been frustrated about, but I think God has given me a peace because I think he's given us this time to reflect and to hone and become creative and just say, Lord, I'm thankful because there are so many of us, again, 500,000 of us that are not here today. So to be in the moment is to be grateful and thankful and also blessed. Amen. And it's okay to be religious on Tee It Up. We, <laughs> we tap into it all, so it's great. But thank you. Thank you for that. We do appreciate it. All right, Dr. Ify, I'm coming back to you. What's your thoughts? Yeah, so it, along with everything that Dr. Anderson said, I think that sometimes... Um, when, when life gives you lemon, you figure out how to make lemonade from it. There's been a lot of wonderful things that have come out of this pandemic. One example in our work is telemedicine. Mm -hmm. Our no-show, like people who don't make it to their appointment, used to be like 35%, sometimes 40%. With telemedicine, it's down to 10%. So people are actually getting better care and more care than before the pandemic because they don't have to drive the car that don't work, figure out what to do with gas, figure out how to not get a kid hit on the side of the road by somebody who's driving all crazy in Charlotte. They have, they have all these barriers removed because I can just video them on Skype or on Zoom and do their visit, right? And so that has been a huge blessing. As Jesslyn said, we've, we've learned that we don't need a gym. You know, you can do a lot more and we're spending a lot less money. I am not using as much gas as I yes. used to. Yes. I'm like, how many weeks has it been since I fill my tank? <laughs> okay. There's like more money in the account. I'm like, this is great. You know, um, on Amazon. <laughs> okay. I don't need to go to the mall to buy what I need to buy. I can order everything online. It can be dropped off in my house. There's actually much more convenience. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and I think that health-wise, not being outside so much and exposed to fumes and smoke, my asthma has actually gotten better. Mm -hmm. Wearing a mask has helped my allergies and my asthma. And I asked my lung doctor, I said, you know, why do you think? He says, you know, we're not seeing as much flu and allergies and asthma exacerbations because people are not out as much mm -hmm. and they're covering up and they're not getting all these pollutants coming into their lungs. And so I think there's a lot to be thankful for. And I used to complain like in February and March, I want to travel I want to do this, I want to do this. And then when I got to like June, July, I'm like, you know, thank God I got a job. I'm not being furloughed, you know, out of like just resignation. And now I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for another day. So my, my, my yeah. thankfulness is actually truly joyful compared mm -hmm. to the resigns. Okay, I have to be thankful because I'm still alive in the summer. Yeah. Now I'm actually seeing the positives more and more. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seeing, I mean, people are kinder. I don't know about you, but people are nicer. Mm -hmm. when you see them people are so stressed out and angry all the time as they used mm -hmm. to be and they have a lot less you know I know that some people have lost their jobs and people are being kinder to other people there was this whole thing on Facebook where people who had house cleaners when they couldn't come and clean they were paying them for the month just they just kept paying them because they knew that they couldn't come into their houses yeah. that would never have happened before you know we, we want we want you to work for your money right mm -hmm. but all these women were like, oh, you know, I'll pay you. Don't come in. I'll pay you. And then, you know, so that kept a whole frontline workforce afloat for like nine months straight where people couldn't come into your house to clean. So there's a lot more grace being extended. You know, I love that my church has been doing virtual and I have attended church more during the pandemic than I did. <laughs> there you go. Because, you know, I'm always late. I live three miles from my church and I can never get there on time. <laughs> But it's a long commute on Sunday. I go from upstairs to downstairs. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be here on time. You know, so there's a lot to be thankful for. You know, there's a lot more. And I just said, I've been able to slow down mm -hmm. and really see. You know, you see, but do you really see the people around you, what people are going through, you know, what your family is going through? When you're so busy running, 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 you can be there, but not really be there. You mm -hmm. know, and this has actually made us all be physically, mentally, and emotionally present more. And so I'm hoping that we hold on to this, you know, even as things become more normal, we should hold on to this because this is what we're supposed to be like. And, you know, I, th I think it's a blessing. It, it may, COVID is not good, but the outcome of this process, mm -hmm. I can only look at it as positive. It really is. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. Jen, did you wanna tee it up for us or what's your, um, how would you like to close it? I would say that I, I do believe that COVID-19 has made us realize that we have to live in the moment. We cannot think about tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. And I think this COVID-19 pandemic has taught us that. It has taught us to be more thankful. It has taught us to be more grateful. It's taught us to read our Bible more. It's taught us how to attend church more, how to attend Bible study. I mean, I think even through this, I have even given my tithes more, mm -hmm. you know, because I have the money to give and I'm a cheerful giver now. I don't feel like it's a burden. Right. Counting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. COVID-19 has had its negative um, effect on the world, um, but also we have to see the good. Um, 
out of it too. And I just pray that everybody um, continues to take this virus seriously. It's still here. It, it, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Even with the, all of us getting the vaccine, you still have to wear your mask. You still have to wash your hands. Still put that little hand sanitizer on your purse, your book bag or wherever you need to take it. And still social distance. I mean, like Jesslyn said, the Tampa Bay, I mean, the crowd of people that were in one area, that is, um, I'm, I'm just interested in knowing what, the, what it's going to look like in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just, just be, and be there for your family. You know, this is a time where we have the technology where we can do things like this. We can do videos and we got Google Duo and FaceTime reach out to your older family members, you know, um, this is a way to stay connected. And yes, and this is what I tell my patients. I want you to physical distance, but really not, I don't want you to the socially, I still want you to socialize with your family. Physical distancing is fine, but still socialize with your family because it's good for the mind. Um, this COVID has caused a lot of depression and anxiety. Um, and, um, but we got to realize that our family, that's all we have. Yes. Yes. That's all we have. And of course, you know, God himself, um, we got to rely on him first, but, um, I'm just excited. I'm glad Dr. Ify and Jesslyn were able to, um, be here tonight. I just love it. That's my tea it up. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for teeing that. Look, and we're going to close. I'm not even going to follow that. I like, <laughs> Damn, Jennifer. I, I like that. I like that close. Um, and I, once again, just appreciate everyone being on and um, just excited to get the message out and to continue to to move forward with, uh, you know, just educating and having conversations because I think you, you got everyone on here was right. We just, everyone has to see these conversations happening. These conversations have to happen. The facts have to get out there. And uh, people, once people hear these conversations with people they trust, they feel comfortable with, then some of those things continue to move forward. And, and then we also, uh, you know, I know Dr. Anderson didn't push it a lot, and I know she um, uh, will push it a lot from the political side, but we still have to hold some of those people accountable, and we have to push them and nudge them so that, uh, you know, the doctor, if he's going to have the resources they need uh, to help the individuals that they're serving. Because uh, if, if, if they're holding, holding back on everything from, from laws to money, then that, that stifles the progression that we can have, uh, you know, from a healthcare standpoint. And, and those, those strains and that, and that creates what we already have in that, that mistrust and then, you know, the, the unwillingness for some people to come in only because they they don't really have access anyway. So now we're trying to give them access, but if we're going to create this access, can we have this access now and keep this access moving forward? So we have to hold some of those uh, individuals accountable for that. But once again, thank you for joining. We appreciate it. And we will have each and every one of you on uh, here again very soon. Thank you.